Well, for those who don't recognize the tune, it's from a fabulous New Jersey band called Titus Andronicus, which Bill and I actually had the uh, pleasure of seeing in person in Davenport at the famous Triple Crown Whiskey Bar and Raccoon Motel on Saturday, homecoming night, after watching the Hawkeyes take out the Terrapins. An appropriate song there, Bill, with the enemy is everywhere because um, Iowa's 6-1 and one and still kind of, sort of, has a shot at that Western Division title and a very, 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 very infinitesimally small shot at getting into the college football playoff. But we truly are surrounded by enemies everywhere, are we not? We are, and uh, as a matter of fact, our next three opponents, uh, Penn State, uh, Purdue, and Northwestern, beat Iowa last year. So um, truly the enemies everywhere, and and. Also in the media, I feel like maybe we're not getting the love that we deserve. Um, Iowa only moved up from 19 to 18 with its complete dismantling of Maryland. And uh, something that I, I read, Iowa is the only team in college football going into Saturday that had not played a team with a losing record. And as it stands, every one of Iowa's opponents to date is at least 500 or better. Um, so... I don't think uh, we're getting the love that we deserve for for playing an actually decent schedule. That is a, that is a great stat. Very interesting. Well, welcome into the Twelve Saturdays podcast, uh, Hawk fans. We are in missing man formation once again. Uh, Globe trotting, Mister Bladel is uh, is he still in uh, Montenegro? Which, by the way, last week I screwed up and said was the name of the city and not the country, which I actually knew. So. Save me all the don't at me as the kids say. <laughs> but I don't know. Is that where he's still, or do you know where he's at now? I don't even know. He's oh, Barcelona. He's a, I think he's in Barcelona now. Sounds good to me. I just kind of call him an international man of mystery, having tapas and not seeing Hawkeyes. Exactly. So, um, yeah, but uh, back to your point, though, Bill. I think you know what is nice, though, is you know you mentioned that Iowa had lost to the three teams that are next on their schedule, so maybe that's in the mind of the pollsters. It's kind of put up or shut up. Well, we'll 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 hold you right about where you are, ranked inside the top twenty, but no higher until you prove that you're not the usual Iowa team that kind of toys with people's emotions and then sends them crushing careening back to earth uh i i think that could be something that we're seeing here yeah i mean if if that indeed comes to pass if we you know go three and oh or, or even two and one over the next uh three great game stretch uh i expect to to see some love or i i might start buying into you know that kind of nebraska fan like everybody's out to get us nobody nobody gives us any respect I get no respect. <laughs> hey, that's a pretty good uh, Rodney Dangerfield uh, impersonation there, Bill. But, you know, I, I will say this, though. At the same time, it's still college football, and, you know, sometimes you lose games. So, I mean, no, I, I want this team to be great as bad as anyone. But I wrote in my column this week uh, that I, I guess I... <sighs> I guess I'm grounded enough to accept a split of these next two games, which kind of fit into what I expected. I, I mean, Don't get me wrong, I, I'm hopeful of a sweep, and I think this team is good enough for a sweep, but I don't know if it's fair as fans for us to expect that out of this team. What do you think? Is it fair? I don't know. I mean, what is fair in sports, you know? I, I guess it, it's fair for us to expect them to play their best, and I think if they do play their best, 
Penn State doesn't look like world beaters. Purdue suddenly does. They're kind of the media darlings right now. And to give um, our friend uh, Noah, um, Iowa Writers Workshop graduate, um, a shout out. He said that a year ago, you know, it was Iowa that had just completely taken apart Ohio State and and uh, probably in Madison, they were saying the same things uh, that we're saying about Purdue now in Iowa City. And we know how that worked out. So, you know, um, one game at a time. But but maybe we'll do to Purdue what Wisconsin did to us last year. What I was going to say, and to give myself a shout out in that <laughs> in that same email thread, I, I kind of referenced that, you know, last year there was a team that had a huge night upset over Ohio State with their next two games were a tough, gritty, blue-collar opponent on the road, and then uh, Purdue at home. <laughs> Purdue now has a gruff, or a rough, gritty, blue-collar opponent in Michigan State on the road, and then Iowa at home, and, uh, you know, to... To quote Matthew McConaughey, we're hoping time is a flat circle here, man. It's it's going to be the same thing over again, right? All right, all right, all right. <laughs> I like that. But, I, hey, I wanted to go back on to something else that you'd pointed out that I kind of thought, and it amused me. I pointed this out also in the column this week. But uh, you notice that Iowa has been on upset alert for three weeks in a row. You know, you, you got, you know. Oh man, you know Minnesota. Flex starting to get it together. They're starting to kind of figure things out, and then Iowa goes out and destroys them. And well, Minnesota sucks, and Iowa doesn't play anybody. Uh, and the next week, oh Indiana, you know they, they they're playing teams tough. They, you know they they Tim Allen's got things going around. Their offense is good. I guess it's not Tim Allen, is it? That's the it's Tom Allen. Tom Allen. Same Tim thing. Allen's brother. There you go. Um, So, and then, you know, and then Iowa just completely demolishes them as well. And it's, well, Indiana sucks. Iowa hasn't played anybody. The next week, oh, my God, it's Maryland. Mm -hmm. And, uh, oh, they're 4-2. They beat Texas. Texas is ranked seventh in the country. Uh, They can run all over anybody. How are you going to stop them? Um, you know, they, they, they've pulled together through adversity and they're great. Then Iowa shuts them out, literally. And, well, Maryland sucks and Iowa hasn't played anybody. So it's kind of like the opposite of, like, you know, we've joked that, you know, when Iowa has a recruit, you know, they don't get a third or fourth star until, like, Michigan or somebody better um, Mm -hmm. uh, recruits them. But when Iowa plays a team, suddenly they go from being pretty good to, well, shit, if Iowa beat them, they must suck. Yeah, no, I I think uh, I I definitely see that. And maybe people are channeling their inner uh, Jim Bladel and, and Bill Delahant, you know, they, they, they want to believe in Iowa, but they just can't. I don't, I don't know what to say about that. I mean, you know, you could get mad on the one hand, but on the other hand, you know, Iowa has kind of disappointed in the past. So, I mean, I'm even in kind of a little bit of a show me mm-hmm. feeling, you know, I mean, I like this team. I, I like this team a lot. I'll like this team if they finish nine and three, because it, to your point, if they play hard and do their best and happen to drop a game, so be it. You'll um, you'll like this team if they finish better than all but like five of Kirk Ferentz's past teams. Right? That that's really yeah. generous of you, Tori. But you know what I'm saying. There's Absolutely. people right now that because of how this season has started and the fact that Iowa, you know, is just a couple special teams miscues really away from being undefeated right now, that are going to be sorely disappointed if they don't finish either undefeated or with at worst one loss. And I'll be disappointed, don't get me wrong, but I won't be angry. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. No, it does. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. And our victories have been impressive. Um, 
aside from Iowa State, uh, we've we've beaten everybody by more than 21 points, which that's that's next level. That's that's elite to to steal a line from PJ Fleck. And and I think you know nobody really gives us the respect that we deserve for beating Iowa State with the history of that series. But you know to this point, we really uh, we haven't beaten a traditional power, and, and Penn State certainly offers that opportunity. So. Um, yeah, I think I think a win this weekend will determine whether this is a um, better than average Kirk Ferentz team, or or you know just kind of the the same old eight and five. Let's go lose the Outback Bowl. Well, I would argue that they're already better than the average Kirk Ferentz team. I, I don't think they're going to finish seven and five. I think seven and five is the average team. Plus, they're more fun to watch. Uh, you know, it's been a little bit of everything this this year. You know, with you and I were at the game. Bill finally made his first game at Kinnick this year for homecoming. That was great. Uh, but with that, those crazy wind conditions and the fact that Maryland's already kind of one-dimensional under the best of times, Iowa decided in this game they were just going to ground and pound and let their defense do the talking, and that worked. You know, the, the two weeks prior, they had to air it out, and that worked. So... You know, I, I, I it, it don't feel hard to watch. Like mm. even last year, at the times where you're just like, oh, what are they gonna do? What's gonna happen? You know, I'm I'm finding that I'm really enjoying the process this year. Yeah, no, I, maybe la- that makes it feel better. Last year, with the exception of what the Ohio State and the Nebraska games, uh, maybe I, maybe I'm missing one. Maybe at Iowa State, you know, every yard we gained was a minor miracle. I mean, and I, I will agree with your point that this Iowa team is more fun to watch than any Iowa team since maybe 2002. And I was reading uh, Kevin Franklin. Is it Kevin Franklin or James Franklin? Who coaches at Penn State? James Franklin. I think you're thinking of Kevin Sumlin, perhaps? I think I am, and I'm drinking scotch. I was reading I was reading the transcript of his press conference today, and he uh, does his homework, surprisingly very knowledgeable about Iowa's personnel down to their first and last names. Um, but he uh, said, you know, gave gave credit to Iowa's offense, saying that, you know, if, if the tight ends don't get you, then we have the ability to uh, stress you in the passing game uh, to the receivers or, or, you know, even with Torin Young. Um, I, I like that he called out Torin Young as our as our impressive back and nobody else because that's kind of the guy that you and I have been high on. But name a, name another year other than 2002 that you could legitimately say that Iowa had playmakers at multiple positions and on offense, and you really can't. So um, yes, I do agree with you that this has been a more fun than average team to watch, and and if for no other reason, they'll they'll have a special place in my heart. So. Back to the actual game itself, which, you know, I think both you and I said for an Iowa-dominating victory at 23-0, to zero, it was kind of boring. Like, and it was homecoming, and I, I don't know, but it was – I even – I couldn't get through the whole rewatch on, on, on video, could you? Uh, I mean, I, I made the effort, too, and it was certainly on while I was in the same room as it, but I was definitely <laughs> playing with my phone. Um and I don't know. I mean, I'll take it. A boring win is is better than a, a interesting to watch loss, I guess. Well, like we said, walking out of the stadium though, playing Maryland still feels like a non-conference team. I mean, this you know, weather notwithstanding, it kind of felt like one of those early September tune-up games. You know, you get some overmatched team with kind of weird uniforms that you don't really recognize from some part of the country you don't usually think about and 
you let them come in, you beat the crap out of them, and then you go eat wings and everybody's happy. So mm-hmm. it didn't feel like winning a Big Ten game. It was like a uh, – I think I might have read this somewhere. I, I want to give credit to where I got this. I don't think this came from my, my own head, but um, – it was sort of like watching just a fat guy hold down a smaller guy and slap him in the face. I mean, Maryland had nothing for us, and we knew that it wasn't going to take too much more effort um, than, you know, just running the ball. What do we run? I think 50 times. Um, didn't need to pass. Uh, so, you know, very workmanlike, boring win. And, and I, I won't get down on the team for that because I know what we're capable of. Well, and in one of the uh, write-ups that they'd even mentioned, they'd interviewed one of the Iowa players today, and they told him what the they asked him about the time of possession, and he said, "I've never been in a game like that." He goes, "That's insane. It was forty minutes and forty-four seconds time of possession with Iowa, and still the offense only put up sixteen points. So, I mean, it wasn't exactly like you know." you know, score a minute pinball machine scoring here. It was uh, it was kind of boring even when Iowa had the ball, you know. Here's your four-yard chunk. Here's your five-yard chunk. Mm-hmm. Now we'll kick a field goal. Um, let me ask you this, though, Bill. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about the weather. Nate Stanley didn't look great. Uh, are you nervous about it? That's a great question because – and this kind of goes back to, to me and Jim, you know, it's hard for us to be believers. You know, we've certainly seen Stanley kind of ball out this year. Six touchdowns against Indiana. I mean, six touchdowns against anybody um, is impressive. Um, you know, you know, he looked great against Minnesota. Uh, I, I thought maybe, you know, he was he was truly coming on and maybe he is going on the road at Penn State. I really hope you know, weather isn't similar to the way it was on Saturday. Cause I think, you know, we, we need him to be on and it didn't seem like he was, he was on per se on Saturday. Yeah. And I think some of that though was dictated by the weather. You know, I mean, he first, he threw the early pick, which has got to be unsettling for anybody. And he really, I wish he'd get that out of his system. Um, hopefully he will going forward. And then, you know, I think in some of the post game comments, I'd read that, the decision was basically made, we're not really going to try to throw beyond 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. And even if you see wide open guys down the field, which he claims he did, you know, maybe don't throw the ball. Because to your point, we also knew Maryland wasn't going to do anything with the ball on offense. The only way you were going to blow that game was with some kind of stupid turnovers, giving them momentum. Why not just run and, you know, if you don't see something great, chunk the ball out of bounds, chuck the ball into the ground, whatever. So like you, I'm hopeful that we didn't see anything close to the usual Nate Stanley and that we'll see the usual guy going forward to the rest of the end of the season here. Absolutely. Going back to your point um, a few minutes ago about, um, the time of possession and, you know, just the number of plays Iowa ran. And this kind of uh, looks forward to Penn State. I just read that Indiana got 100 offensive snaps in their game against Penn State on Saturday. And on Saturday, the most any of our D linemen played, the most snaps any of them played was 25 snaps. So I think we're rested. And I think, you know, Penn State might be a team that we could could dominate like we dominated Maryland time of possession wise. What do you what do you think of that? Is that is that hyperbole? 
I want to say no, but I worry that it's yes from this simple fact. You know, Penn State's looked kind of crummy the last couple of weeks, but my Lord, do they have a lot of just natural raw talent on that team. And that always makes me a little nervous, makes me nervous on the road. You know, they have a good quarterback. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, and I, oh, at this point, Bill, I can't tell how much of it is just a defense mechanism of me not trying to get my hopes up. I try to be objective when I can, but I actually think I might be a little anti-objective, but against Iowa at this time, just out of defensiveness. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I mean, you're you're talking to a, a guy who would, you know, admit that he's a pessimist, and I know we're uh, the line that I saw opened up at Penn State minus five, and that's moved to Penn State minus six and a half. So, you know, it's not just you and me; it's it's a lot of gamblers out there, kind of putting their money where their mouth is, and taking Penn State in this game. But I will say, give you one other stat, and this comes from Scott Docterman um, from The Athletic. Um, he said, Penn State gives up 165 rushing yards a game, which is what Iowa averages. On third and three yards or less, the Lions allow 4.8 yards per carry. So I, I, that, again, you know, if it does come down to an inclement weather type of game and Stanley's not on, I think our running game has a puncher's chance here. Well, the running game really seemed to get on track last week, and I think it's just going to get better as uh, Ivory Kelly Martin continues to improve his health. I don't think he's scratched the surface on how good he can be this year. I mean, arguably, he's looked like the third best back on the team, and I'm not taking any way from Torn Young or Mikhail Sargent. They've both been fantastic, but, you know, when... Ference and the other coaches have said that, you know, IKM has a little bit of that extra juice, the Akram Wadley-esque thing. We haven't seen it yet, but, uh, you know, they're not prone to, you know, propping up their players when they're not great. So I, you know, I feel like they are going to really start get going in the running game, and that's only going to help things as well. Back on the gambling point, what's interesting to me too, isn't this now the fourth week in a row where the line has moved against iowa uh so so far it's worked yeah that is let them doubt god dang it that's true yeah i mean there are doubters out there and uh we'll just have to keep proving them wrong that that always gets to me but then again i'm superstitious about things well bill should we uh go ahead and toast this one you mentioned you're drinking scotch where where does the scotch come from and what what kind is it it's a uh, Glen Morangie that was a gift to me, um, and it's it's tasty, scotchy, scotchy, scotch. Is it peaty? It's not peaty. I you know I don't I don't know. I only know that Laphroaig is peaty, and that's about all I know about scotch. So you're you're asking the wrong guy. I just drink it. Well, I'm having a uh, nice Cabernet Sauvignon tonight. Oh, I guess classy. we class it up when Bladel's out of town, <laughs> not letting him br- drag us down into to slum slum booze. Yeah, that's our story. We're sticking to it. All right. Well, let's toast this one. And hey, Bill, drop the real sound effect in this week. <laughs> well, pretty interesting guest this week, Bill. We've, of course, had, you know, some Hawkeye legends like Lou Montgomery and Julian Vandeveld on. We've had our unsung walk-on, Chris Snyder, this year. And, of course, we've had the cream of the crop of Iowa media, you know, Morehouse, Dockerman, Batterson, all these guys that are just uh, top of their game there. Uh, today, for the first time, we have a player's parent, and it's uh, Renee Racinos, 
father of one Miguel Racinos. And what perfect timing. Uh, three for three on field goals in, I think, the windiest game I've ever seen at Kinnick Stadium. Well, as I mentioned, guys, we have a really exciting guest this week. It is uh, Rene Racinos, the father of one Miguel Racinos. It's always fun to, to talk to parents you know, I had the chance a couple of years ago when I worked for the Quad City Times, I interviewed uh, Pat Angers folks and uh, Dr. Sandeman, Colin's dad, lives across the street from me, so I talked to him once in a while. Uh, and actually, it's funny, I just had uh, Mr. Bear come into the uh, Iowa City Press Citizen the other day and chat with me to get some papers. So it's always interesting to get that perspective. But I, I guess the thing I'm always curious about is, when did you kind of first have the inkling that, that your kid might have, you know, that talent to make it to, to the D1 level? Oh, man. I mean, that's uh, a rather long question, uh, Tori. But what I would say is, we actually thought he was going to be a professional soccer star. So when he was three, he was already, he learned to kick a ball before he actually, he simultaneously, he learned to run. So he was kicking a round ball uh, from a very early age. And um, I think it was, he's told me it was a sixth grade or seventh grade where uh, for Pop Warner, they asked, you know, the kids inevitably, hey, can somebody kick? And people looked at him and said, you play soccer, right? How about you try? So he tried. He put the ball through the uprights, and the coach said, do it again. And then he did it, and there he became a kicker. So, did, he play any other, did he play any other positions? Um, in football, yes. He was, a, he was a good quarterback and a good defensive back. He's got great hands, actually, very good hand-eye coordination. Um, so... But he uh, quickly realized he didn't want to take a lot of he didn't want to uh, take a lot of hits. <laughs> sure. So. Well, that's got to be one of the few positions, I guess, as a parent, where you really don't have to worry too much about CTE or concussions or anything like that, uh, for the most part, huh? Yeah, not as much. Although uh, KF does get them in tackling drills now and again, and Miguel actually does have two tackles as a as a kicker for Iowa. But uh, but far fewer, undoubtedly, than any other position. <laughs> nice. Now, did you play uh, sports as a as a youth too? Soccer, football. What what was your specialty? Usually, these kids have decent genes. <laughs> well, uh, uh, I guess I'll say that yeah. I, my first love is soccer. So when I was uh, in uh, medical school and graduate school, I played for the University of Iowa club team as the goalkeeper. Awesome. That's nice. Well, my son is a varsity soccer player. I don't know that he has D1 or soccer player. I don't know if he has D1 talent, but, uh, you know, he's going into his junior year. So, you know, I, I kind of joke with him that, you know, he should have like worked on punting or something like that because, you know, like, to your point, I think they sometimes do look at the soccer kids uh, to to come in and, and do that. How? Tell me a little bit about the recruiting of Miguel. Uh, you know, Mason City is a decent sized high school here in the state of Iowa, but I don't know if it's known as a cradle of kickers. Uh, that's for sure, Tori. I mean, let me just back up a second and tell you that it is interesting, the history of, of uh, place kicking in the NFL, because place kicking essentially went from toe kicking in the late 70s and early 80s to within about a year to two years time, almost essentially to all soccer style kickers. So now, uh, essentially all all place kickers are soccer style, whether they play soccer or not, the majority do, but but all swing that way. They don't they don't toe kick. Um as far as uh, uh, the second question, recruitment, I would tell you that that was one thing we talked long and hard about because Mason City 
uh, as you gentlemen know, I, I coach for the high school. Um, we are not powerhouses in football, <laughs> to put it mildly, because <laughs> we finished zero and eight, I think, this year again. Um, and not to take anything away from our coaching staff, because I, I, I'm really fortunate to be a part of a great staff. But you know, we we had uh, we won one state championship in 1978 with. Let's see if either one of you knows who our head coach was. Uh, that's, uh, I was living in Wisconsin at that time, so I'm, I'm going to pass. Well, ironic you say, would say Wisconsin. Yeah, go ahead. Was it, was it Barry Alvarez? It was. It Good was Barry call, Alvarez. Bill. So Barry Alvarez, uh, after winning the state title in, at Mason City, then Hayden Fry showed up, I think, about uh, at that time, but he picked him up on staff a year or two later. So then, you know, the rest is history. But, yeah, so Coach Alvarez was, was our head coach. Um but besides that year, we had one other year that we were good, but the rest we were pretty much uh, bottom dwellers. And so, um, you know, we had long discussions because at that point, Miguel, we knew uh, by the time Miguel was a freshman, we knew that, that he had the potential to play on in college. We didn't know where, but, you know, he's Hawkeye fan through and through. And so obviously that was part of our discussion. But um, in Working with kicking coaches like uh, he had the opportunity to work with Nate Kading a couple of times, got some very good feedback, you know. So um, we ended up resorting to uh, camp performances. And then, uh, you know, what really got Miguel trending on Twitter was when he kicked a 58-yard field goal as a senior. Oh, wow. That's a good boot. You mentioned uh, Nate Kading. Does does he have a relationship now with Nate Kading? That uh, performance on Saturday was pretty clutch and kind of had me thinking. You know, we haven't seen a guy that you know uh, automatic, dare I say, since Nate Kading. Well, you know, Nate's been his childhood hero. I mean, you know, he grew up watching Scott Hawk videos. If you guys know what uh, those those videos are like, and we we're actually friends with uh, Scott Hawk himself. Um, and we just love that. And so uh, as he's gotten older, you know, he went to Nate's camps and he and Native uh, maintained in contact. I mean, uh, uh, you know, Nate has stopped by. Nate was at the Minnesota game, I know. Um, so he's he's been following things along. And I think uh, certainly Miguel would count Nate as one of his one of his mentors. Uh, talk about this last Saturday, because uh, you, you you coach special teams at, at Mason City, right? Yeah. Yep. So what um, do you what do you tell guys when the wind is? I, I I'm not making this up, Renee. From my seats, I could see at one point during the game the you know how they have all the flags uh, on across by the hospital side across from the 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 yes yeah press box. So mm-hmm. half of them were blowing one way, half of them were blowing the other way. They were pointing at each other. The 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 flags on both end zones were blowing in opposite directions at each other. Uh, somehow the wind was coming from every direction at one time. So how how do you prepare on a day like that as a kicker? Well, I mean, you know, Tori, that's arguably the most difficult con- kicking conditions. Um, I, I for me personally, the most difficult kicking conditions I've ever been a part of. The the fortunate saving grace was it wasn't too cold and he had a great kicking surface, but. The wind was absolutely unpredictable, which which made it incredibly challenging. Um, you know, the one thing I would say, I think it's no coincidence that some of the best kickers in the NFL are Midwestern kickers because they're used to just absolutely crazy conditions. And certainly Mason City is no different. Um, Miguel was single-minded of purpose, just jumping back to high school for a second, because he literally kicked almost every day for about three years um, in high school. And he would drag 
my, primarily his mom. I got to give a shout out to my sweetheart because I was too busy at uh, at work most nights to be um, to be out there. But she she went out with him and he kicked you know year round. So the wind is something he's been used to. Uh, but but Saturday was particularly bad. I mean, uh, I like I said, I've never seen I've not seen it like that where as you said, all the markers are going different directions. So it's really hard to know. And if you saw his last field goal, you could see literally the wind blow the ball um, from, you know, go, going to the left of center, suddenly going to the right of center. Pretty dramatic. That's nuts. So what, what is the general technique, I guess, in, in swirling winds, I guess? Well, you know, the best, the best answer in, in winds that are unpredictable is power because, with uh, higher velocity comes greater momentum, and with you know more momentum, then the ball just carries better. So a, a low energy kick or a, a kick with not much power behind it's going to get blown every which way. So he has fortunately, you know, uh, credit to Chris Doyle uh, has developed uh, you know a lot of core power. So you know he had he has he hits the ball typically very cleanly and um, and hits it with a lot of power. Beyond that. Tori, honestly, it's a matter of just, you know, getting out there. One one thing that uh, they did after the uh, Iowa State game was uh, Miguel had asked Coach Woods to go out into Kinnick more often because the first, as you guys know, the first kick in the Iowa State game he missed, um, and uh, also his fourth kick he missed, uh, and uh, the first one arguably maybe maybe not win, but the last one at 50 yards was clearly a win factor. He told me, and so uh, now um, they go out into um, usually Mondays and Wednesdays. You just mentioned this Doyle. Does he have a, a separate regiment for kickers, and does he work with kickers and, and specialists, you know, as much as he would say uh, a Jack Hockaday or, or a AJ Epinesa? Well, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that, Bill, because when we uh, Miguel was recruited by five Division One programs, all Big Ten, uh, with the exception of Vanderbilt, um, which was not Big Ten. And when we asked their strength and conditioning coaching staff, you know, what uh, what do you have for kickers? Uh, most of them uh, gave us a kind of a blank look and said, "Hey, well, what well, any thoughts you have?" Iowa <laughs> State's uh, strength and conditioning coach took it a little bit further because they had a very good punter at the time. Um, but only Chris Doyle was like, yep, know what to do. We need to work on the, the core. We need to work on the plyometrics. And we came away very impressed. So <laughs> he definitely has, um, he definitely has programs set up for the specialists to, to work on their explosive movement. Uh, you know, their plyometrics are a really good, uh, means to accomplish that, but, um, to really strengthen the, the, the core. What is it like? to be a parent sitting in the stands watching your kid play out there? I mean, is it stressful for them or for you? Uh, you know, you get a very different answer, Bill, whether you ask when you're, you're asking me as, as opposed to my wife, Paula, because uh, our approaches are really different. You know, I had the privilege of coaching Miguel when he was in his senior year and, and shout out to coach um, Justin Penner here because he was our head coach at the time. Uh, I don't know coach Penner what, uh, convinced you to ask me to join your staff, but I'm eternally grateful. Um, so, you know, I, I was with Miguel, you know, um, every day of practice his senior year. And so I got to see him kick hundreds of times in a practice setting as a coach and in game settings as a coach. Watching him now is a different, 
it's a different sort of feeling, but, you know, I've seen him kick literally thousands of times and, you know, we've talked extensively uh, over the years. So to me, I view it with truly with joy uh, in my heart and hoping that, you know, he can achieve his objective that he desires. Um, and uh, if, yeah, you know, if he misses a kick to me, it's, it's okay. I mean, I record every kick of his on video um, and we go back and we talk about it. Um, the only time it's difficult is at the end of a game, if he's really down. So, you know, uh, two years ago in the Michigan game, um, he got coach Ferentz, uh, uh, there's a long story and we can certainly talk about that too, but long story short, Miguel was expected to be the starter, but he didn't, he didn't produce, he didn't produce in fall camp. And so, uh, he fought his way back during fall practice and, uh, he had certainly the leg to do it and, and he impressed Ferentz enough to let coach, uh, you know, for coach to call him in. But the difficulty was he was calling him in for 50 yarders. So, uh, you know, in the Michigan game, when Miguel missed a 50 yarder early in the game, uh, and then we went on to win the game on a kick that was not his, that was hard. That was very hard. Um, uh, so as I was definitely more in the parent mode there. And the best thing I've discovered there is, uh, shut up and stop being a coach and just listen. So, You know, that's what I did there. Now, his mom, on the other hand, pretty much can't look every time he kicks. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a question for you related to Hawkeye Report. Uh, a wow. lot of parents kind of, I think, shy away from that because you'll see kind of nasty things that every once in a while. I think I even commented in a thread uh, just this week where somebody was asking about the weaknesses of the team and somebody had the audacity to to worry about the kicking game, which I was like, what? Are you crazy? Uh, yeah. I guess I'm curious, as, as a parent uh, and as a ex-coach, or not ex, a current coach, um, you know, what? how do you keep the right mindset and not just like, Oh my God, bash people when they start saying stuff, they have no idea what they're talking about. Well, you know, I I mean, I would say Tori that I view everyone as having an equal right to present their views on Hawkeye report. But one of the things that I didn't like when I first joined the board was people just talking out of their butt, so to speak, because um, when people do that and don't present uh, facts to support their opinions and yet present their opinions as facts, then uh, I don't have a lot of respect or time for those folks. And so when at some point, I guess I, I, I started to post a few things about Miguel and then a few people started to challenge me. And I thought, well, I can either continue to be, you know, indirect and, um, roundabout in the way I choose to say things, or I can out myself, so to speak, as to uh, who I am. And, you know, for me, having been a Hawkeye fan for most of my life, I love uh, the message boards. And there's so many good people, uh, including the two of you, uh, you know, for and and over the years, you get to to know your fellow posters, their personalities, you know, and it's just fascinating to meet people uh, over that time. Well, then, you know, in the context of that core of people that present that most of us are pretty reasonable, down to earth people that have well-informed opinions. Then you have a periphery of fanatic posters, people that are crazy one way or the other. <laughs> um, and, you know, I just chose to, to out myself because I thought, you know what, I, I want people to have some to know that I have some 
validity to my my perspectives because when I'm a board paying member, I would like to know when people know what they're talking about. I mean, I'm not going to necessarily agree with everybody. I mean, there's some of the posters that are incredibly well connected. I don't agree with every time, but I certainly appreciate their perspective and I and I and uh, and respect it. So as a paying member, I figured, you know, I, I'm not going to pay to be a member of a board where everybody's just shooting their mouth off and has no informed basis for their opinion. I mean, that, what fun would that be? I could just, you know, throw a dart at a dartboard, I guess. Um, I, I do appreciate the, the other posters. I mean, the two of you included who who have identified themselves. So I, 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 I thought that was really important to do it. But I also keep in mind my perspective that I'm just another poster and, um, you know, I'm not right all the time. Sure. Uh, and you mentioned uh, you know, some guys who who, who post and, and don't have any idea, you know, what, what they're talking about. And um I, I kinda wanna admit that, you know, I, I live and die with the Hawkeyes and I have since I was a teenager, you know, over half my life now and um you know, I'll be as high as anything one play and as low as anything on another and you know, maybe I presented myself as, as kind of one of those people you were talking about until the past three years when I've uh, myself have been coaching high school football. And uh, you're absolutely right. You know, uh, you get close to a program and you know what what plays are called and what everybody's responsibilities are. And, uh, you know, when when something doesn't go right, you know, the last thing you want is some idiot from, you know, the cheap seats shooting their mouth off and and here, um, Bill, I thought you were going to admit that you knew nothing about football. That's what I thought the confession was going to be. I, I know next to nothing. I, I've coached for three years now, so I know a little bit more than nothing. Well, no, and I was going to say, in a way, though, Renee and Bill, you probably noticed this, too, and I think this might be part of it, too. It's kind of liberating to have yourself be known on there. I mean, ever since I started writing my column, obviously, everybody kind of got to know me. And then, of course, I've been in a couple jobs that are fairly you know, in the public eye, I guess. And, uh, you know, it, it, it does help you moderate you from being a complete jackass yourself. At least I need that sometimes. So I think it helps. That's true. You know, that's that's very true, Tori, because uh, I do keep in mind, you know, I'm uh, the hats that I wear. I mean, I'm a doctor, too. So I, I have to keep those perspectives um, as well, because, you know, I can't. And and the other the other thing I do I have a rule, internal rule. I don't post anything I'm really passionate about until I sleep on it. Because if I post, uh, you know, like how you'll read the game threads, if I was that person, oh, my God, I'd be dropping F-bombs like they're going out of style. Um, but, you know, I, I find that I do a lot better when I just wait until the following morning to respond to whatever it is. That is yeah. sage advice that, that we could all take. Um, I have one really lighthearted question. Um, and, and then I'm done. You've, you've given us more than enough of your time, and we, we really do thank you for this. Um, earlier this season, we had uh, Chris Snyder, who who walked onto the Iowa team, and, and he talked about you know kind of being wide-eyed mm-hmm. when his locker was right I next really, to— uh, really enjoyed that, actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, well thanks. Uh, his, his locker was next to Adrian Claiborne's, you know, and last year we talked to Roger Meyer, who came in under Hayden Fry and— you know, obviously Hayden Fry is just a, a larger-than-life personality. So we know that, you know, when when the kids come in, you know, as freshmen, of course their eyes are wide and, and it's all, you know, mystical to them. How about for a parent when when you, you know, shake Kirk Ferentz's hand when you're, when you're meeting with him on a recruiting visit, are you kind of geeking out? Well, you know... <laughs> 
Part of me, yeah, absolutely, because, you know, um, I guess that's a, 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 a wonderful and a complex question because let me just jump around a little bit, uh, uh, flight of thought here, but every time I see Miguel step out onto the field in his Hawkeye uniform, uh, you know, it really chokes me up. Um, and it, especially in the beginning, it was really surreal. You know, this year he's uh, been in the front of the group, so we've seen him on the Jumbotron, which was just, I mean, I can't tell you how uh, meaningful that is to us. But, uh, you know, meeting uh, Coach Ferentz for the first time was surreal. But I also, I, this is a whole other conversation perhaps for another day, but, you know, Miguel was the second kicker recruited that year. So mm-hmm. we had a lot of pointed questions to ask Coach Ferentz. So besides the fanboy, I, I was very focused when I approached him in the beginning because I wanted to be sure our son was going into a, the right environment uh, because it's incredibly rare for division one programs to recruit more than one kicker in the same year, let alone the first guy be scholarship and the second guy be a walk-on. So I, I was a little less fanboy the first time I met him than I am now. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, well, I, you know, it's been a pleasure, Renee. We could probably talk to you for another hour or so, but we do try we really to keep could. the podcast to about an hour. So let's put a, let's put a, fork in this one and say you know we're gonna have you on after miguel gets his shining moment of kill kicking one of those game-winning field goals you, you gotta kind of feel like it's coming at some point don't you well i mean i would say that i've you know we've talked about that for uh gosh uh, going back to last year after he uh kicked two clutch field goals in the pinstripe bowl because you know that's a whole nother thing as a kicking coach he, he did those as a one-step kick which huh. I've never seen anybody do. Wow. So, because uh, the field conditions were so absolutely trashy. Um, so, yeah, absolutely, Tori. You know, I, I have every every confidence that, and we talked about every game. You know, we thought the Iowa State game was going to be that way until mm. somebody scored a touchdown. Um, you know, <laughs> On the but, other uh, hand, if I, I think all of us as Hawkeye fans, if, if they want to just go ahead and win every game by 30, we're not going to complain. <laughs> yeah. Which is what happened in Nate Kading's career. <laughs> right, right. Uh, you know, but it's uh, it could happen. It could happen this Saturday. Uh, it could happen the following weekend. You know, both both games are going to be very difficult games, and uh, uh, he can do it. You know, I have no no doubt in my mind he can do it. You know, last last Saturday was his uh, high point. You know, three three field goals. That was the most field goals he's had as a Hawkeye kicker. So I think there's uh, the best is yet to come. And in those conditions, I mean, that's that's clutch in and of itself so he he's certainly made a name for himself but yeah uh, just on behalf of me and tori thank you so much for for giving us your time and uh for stopping by and um it's been a fun one my pleasure uh gentlemen and i look forward to you know visiting again i really enjoy listening to the podcast it makes driving a whole lot less boring <laughs> well thanks and i'd say uh you know to follow up on what bill said i don't think anybody in Hawkeye Nation has any qualms or nervousness uh, if Miguel is called upon to kick that uh, game-winning kick. We're all uh, in his corner and behind him, and uh, let's uh, hope it doesn't come to that. But if it does, we're, we'll all walk away happy, I think. Appreciate that very much. All right. All right. You take it easy, man. Thanks. Have a good night. Mm-hmm. Once again, that was Renee Racinos. Just a great interview and um, nice insight into uh, the team. 
Um, Tori and I talked to him for a little bit longer, and, and we are excited, and we're just going to leave it at that. Uh, Tori, what do you think? Yeah, no, that was fantastic. I think we could have gone another 45 minutes to an hour, and suffice it to say, uh, got a couple little interesting insights on the program going forward. And, uh, you know, much like Scott Dockerman last week, I mean, everybody associated with this team is super, super high on it and how good they are. And, Bill, it's it's hard to not keep getting giddy on this thing. It really is. And, you know, I, I don't want to go all Chris Farley and keep saying awesome, but I'm I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> That's so awesome. That. Remember that time <laughs> when you kicked three field goals and it was a 60-mile-an-hour win? It was awesome. Oh, I'm so stupid. Gosh. <laughs> well, I don't think there's anything that we haven't already kind of talked about except for our picks going forward. And we didn't get one from Renee. I, I think suffice it to say that, that he thinks Iowa's was going to win, though. 117 to 24. <laughs> Trick question. LeVar Woods is God. <laughs> there you go. Um, and uh, I guess uh, in absentia, Frickin' Bill won the frickin' Gnome this week, even though I, I still feel like I should have won. Well, I, I've got a text from Jim claiming he won. Jim and, always claims he won, but he's not here, so do we actually have to give it to him? I mean, I'm fine, you know, chalking one up for, for the old Bill D if you are. No, I think I and won, I though, did Bill. Pick, I think that I called a 22-point margin of victory, and the margin of victory was 23. However, you picked Brandon Smith as a pick-to-click, and and boy did he so but that's only um, a tiebreaker you know, let's call it this way kind of you and this week. Look, well you know that the the pick to clicks only a tiebreaker so technically that count can't count but you know what i think we should do let's just call it a tie you and me won and bill and jim lost i like it all right, all right well uh, as, as you and i are both winners um <laughs> you went first last time so why don't i i start it off this is this has been a hard one for me to pick, and I've kind of gone all over the place. Um, however, I feel very bullish now, and I think that our playmakers are going to be in position to make plays. And so I'm going to pick Noah Fant as my pick to click. And I'm going to say Iowa wins 27 to 17 on the road. I think the defense. Bends but doesn't break uh, with Trace McSorley. Trace McSorley gets his, but he doesn't get enough. I want you to be right so bad. I, I and I think I. Here's what's weird about my pick this week, Bill. Is sometimes in the past I've gone with my heart over my head, and sometimes I've gone with my head over my heart. And I want to say that my pick this week is based on nothing objective at all. It's completely subjective, and it's this. I've had so many times in my life where I kind of felt like, oh, my God, you know, this thing's just – it's setting up exactly how you want it. It's going to be perfect. And then real life intrudes and just shits on you. And <laughs> I know this sounds dark and horrible, but I just – I have a terrible feeling that this football season and this game might be setting up for that. Um, Penn State has a lot of talent. You know, they're injured, and an injured animal is always dangerous. It's a weird road game, as always, you know, going to another time zone. I just have a bad feeling about it. It's not objective. I think Iowa has the better team. I think we have the talent. I think we have the drive. But I'm going to go with Penn State. I, I, I hate it. Uh, I'm going to say 23-20. to 20. Uh, Jerky McFrickface kicks a ball into the stands again. 
Um, my pick to click, though, is going to be TJ Hawkinson. I, I just don't think they're going to have an answer for him. And I really hope I'm wrong. Yeah, so do I. And uh, speaking on, on behalf of uh, Jim, who texted me his pick to click um, and his pick, he's saying Iowa wins comfortably. I set a 10-point margin of victory. He's got a 12-point. He wants Iowa 33-21. to 21. I don't know if he's, he's going with Bob Sanders' number there. I don't know where he gets 33 from. Uh, but his pick-to-click is Hawkinson, so I would absolutely take that or mine. I really hope yours doesn't come to pass. I can totally see it happening, though. But um, I'll be watching from uh, Barney's Beanery in the Santa Monica Promenade. Um, I'm going to be in L.A. this weekend and next, so um, I'll be sending some West Coast love to all the way to – uh happy valley and um should we should we just call it now and and i'll be jim and myself and i'll say on iowa go hawks but i have one little thing to add oh yeah what's that somehow we've like broken through to the other side because tori is the pessimist and bill and jim are the optimists now i don't know what this means but it's kind of weird uh, like I said, I live and die with, with this team and, and maybe after, uh, Mr. Racino's interview, um, I'm, I'm, I'm riding that high and I'm the eternal optimist. I don't know, but I, I will end it and I'll say beat Nebraska, beat Penn State, beat everybody. The enemy is everywhere. <laughs>